Can we give the Lord some praise this morning? Amen. He's good. Let's give it up for our band too. Our sound people in the back. Man, we're just blessed to have y'all here. And look at your neighbors. Say, I'm glad to be here this morning. Tell them they look good. That's most of the battle anyways, right? Anyway, we are so glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm the young adult and youth pastor here at Church on the Rock, and I've been here uh, a little over eight years, and uh, Whitney and I and, and our baby are just blessed to be here and to hang out with you all and call this our home. And uh, before we ever actually came on staff here, we attended here. So this is uh, my choice, amen, and uh, just like everyone here. So we're glad to be here today. Um, as you heard, Pastor John is out of town. Uh, him and the whole family, went, they went to a wedding yesterday in Mississippi, and uh, he's actually ministering right now uh, in a little church that he grew up in in Hernando, Mississippi. So let's remember to keep them in prayer and uh, just knowing he's going to come back. He's been out of the pulpit for a few weeks here, but I know he's excited to get back here. Uh, he's got a great message for you all next week, and then he's starting a series after that. And uh, I know it's going to be uh, just amazing, but we're blessed here. Amen. Great pastors, uh, Miss Linnell, Pastor John, they love us, and uh, we're just blessed to be here. Uh, but today, I'm going to continue what Pastor Mike spoke about a few weeks ago, uh, what Pastor Steve Merle talked about last week. But this whole month, as Pastor said, it's been about evangelism, uh, where we're talking about uh, going into the city, going to the highways, the byways, going to our neighbors, to our friends, our coworkers, our family, just telling them about the love of Jesus. Amen? Uh, telling them that God loves them. Discipleship. That's what we've been talking about. I don't know about you, but I've encouraged, been encouraged the last few weeks just to get out, just to be a witness, just to be a real follower of Christ. How many people know you can call yourself a Christian, man, but the litmus test is, are we making disciples? Are we going out? Are we sharing the love of Christ? Because that's what it's all about. And uh, I'm excited about the message this morning. We're going to have some fun. How many people believe you can have fun in church? You really can. Church is fun. We get to hang out with Jesus. We get to hear a word that edifies us, and we get to go out and be the church. And uh, I really believe God's word this morning is going to transform us. It's going to challenge us. I think it's going to encourage us maybe to get out of our comfort zone. Uh, I believe it's going to encourage us to, like I said, just really be a follower of Christ. And uh, I'm excited. How many people know that Jesus in us, man, it's a hope for the world. It really is. What you have inside of you, people need. It's, just, it's not just us, it's Jesus in us. And um, I want to encourage y'all, man, we have the tools inside of us, and uh, God will use us if we say yes to him, right? So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at a, a cool story. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and then flip over to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We're going to look at one story uh, that's kind of depicted in two different books, and we're going to put them together. This is one story, and I really believe God's going to speak to us to, today. I think he has a word for us. So let's read it. It'll be on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV. Matthew 16, 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Because, or blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you jump to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, the story continues. 
And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's your word that speaks to us, Lord. Lord, you care about us. And I pray today that you would transform us. Lord, that you would show us how to live. You'd show us how to be followers. God, you'd give us your heart for people. You'd give us your heart for the world. God, help us see like you see. Help us love like you love. Uh, love. Lord, bless us today with your word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. How many people in here, you've been to a recent graduation? High school, college, anyone in here? We've all been to a graduation before, right? It's a great ceremony, celebration. Uh, you've graduated. You went with someone that's uh, graduated. If you're a kid, you went to an older brother, sister, or friend. But graduations, being youth pastors for the last eight years, Whitney and I, we've had the opportunity to go a lot to a lot of graduations. And, uh, you know, we love it sometimes two or three a year. Um, but every graduation is kind of has some similar things. There's a speech. Sometimes the speeches are good. Sometimes they're not so good. Sometimes you're at a huge graduation and you're like, good Lord, it's like three hours in. Can, can we move through this? You know what I mean? Maybe we shouldn't say the middle name. I don't know. Can we just, if you've been to a big college graduation, sometimes they take a long time. But we went to a lot of them. And sometimes you see embarrassing things at graduations. If you've been to a, a lot of them. I, one time I saw a principal drop the microphone, rolled down the stage. Pretty embarrassing. Uh, one time we saw this kid that actually used to be in our youth group. He was walking across the stage and fell down as he was about to shake hands. Pretty embarrassing, right? Especially if that's your kid. Um, but one of the most embarrassing graduation kind of moments that I've ever been a part of, that I've ever seen, was my own graduation. Okay, you've got to follow me here. I was 17 years old and I was graduating and I was asked to give the opening prayer at our graduation. And I was pretty excited about this. You know what I mean? Like I took some notes down. I was going to wow the crowd with my amazing uh, whatever prayer skills that I had. And I can remember if you've been to many graduations, the, normally the prayers at the beginning. And, and praise the Lord, there's still schools that do prayers at the beginning. Amen. And uh, anyway, this is several years ago. And I can remember coming up there. Travis Jackson's going to give the opening prayer. And I can remember coming up there. And we were outside. It was at Hooks. I graduated from Hooks back in the day. It was outside at their football field. And I can remember I began to pray. And sheer, like, terror struck through me all of a sudden. Okay? I couldn't hear myself. I began to pray, and I couldn't hear anything. And then about two seconds later, I began to hear everything. Okay? There was a delay. And if you've ever spoke on a big PA system and you don't know that and you're 17 years old and you're about to give the best prayer in the world and you hear this like two seconds later, it messes you up. And I began to pray and I'd dear Lord, uh, like I'm hearing myself two seconds later. Does this make sense? Throughout this whole prayer, I, I'll be honest, I butchered it. It was the worst prayer in the world. I mean, it was terrible. The principal standing beside me, he's laughing. The superintendent's beside him laughing uncontrollably. I begin to laugh because I cannot gather it because I'm, I'm talking, but I'm hearing what I'm saying two or three seconds before. 
it's like messing me up. I didn't know you were supposed to have earplugs or anything like that. And uh, it was just really embarrassing. But here's the deal. A few weeks later, I had a bunch of family members there. So obviously it uh, wasn't my greatest day. But I can remember my grandma told me this story. She said, you know, your aunt was there and she was sitting by this lady. And uh, I, after I prayed, I went and I sat on the front row. Um, it, it hooks. It's a lot easier to be in the top 10, okay? And I, and I sat up front and uh, I was there and the lady leaned over to my aunt who she didn't know. And she said, isn't it nice they let everybody be a part of the ceremony? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever that means, you know? So uh, anyways, uh, praise the Lord that uh, our microphones are a little bit better and all that. But man, it was pretty embarrassing. The reason I share this today is this. We've all been to graduations. We've all heard speeches and whatnot. But the, the story that I just told us in the two different books it's a graduation speech, basically, that Jesus gives to his disciples, all right? Jesus has been w- walking around with his disciples for almost three and a half years. Could you imagine literally walking around with Jesus? I'm talking about they hung out with Jesus. They lived with Jesus. What he ate, they ate. Where he stayed, they stayed. They saw Jesus do miracles. They saw Jesus open blind eyes. They saw Jesus touch leprosy and it went away. They saw Jesus cast out demons, all this stuff. Could you imagine walking around with Jesus for three and a half years? So here's the deal. This is at the end of Jesus's life. Literally a few weeks uh, after this, Jesus is gonna go to the cross. He's gonna die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And then he's gonna come back to life. And praise the Lord, he did that, right? That's why we're here, because Jesus loves us. He cares about us. He died for us. But Jesus gives these instructions to these disciples. And basically, these are some of the last instructions that he gives to the disciples. And I'm telling you, I believe it transformed them. And uh, I believe today through kind of looking at this and studying it for a few minutes, I believe it's going to transform us. I believe it's going to spark something inside of us. Let me tell you, I get excited when I look at kind of the Christian world today. Uh, Maybe not as much in America because it seems like, you know, everyone calls himself a Christian but throughout the world, did you know over 2 billion people profess Christianity? Let me tell you, Christianity's came a long ways from some, a few fishermen and a, a few tax collectors, right? I mean, 2 billion people. These disciples caught something. I'm telling you, it turned, it transformed their life. And so I want to jump into uh, the story that I just read. I want to break it down a little bit. Does that sound good? All right, I'm going to need you to follow me today. Uh, we're going to jump into some deep waters for a second. But first of all, we have Jesus. We have Jesus and we have his 12 disciples here. Uh, they've been walking, like I said, for a few years. But most theologians would agree that these disciples are young men. All right? Most theologians would agree that all the disciples except for Peter are probably younger than 20 years old. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, the Bible only recounts that one disciple is married, and that's Peter. None of the other disciples are married. Uh, the second thing, the reason we kind of know that the disciples are younger men is they didn't have to pay temple, temple tax. Uh, you can look in Matthew, but if you look in the Old Testament, you see if you were 20 years old or older, you had to pay a temple tax. And only Jesus and Peter paid this temple tax. So anyways, is that me? <laughs> hey, God. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I got a pizza on the way in a couple hours, and I guess they're early. But... Uh, that was my alarm in case I overslept today. Forgot I was preaching. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, all these disciples, they're young. They're young men. And Jesus takes them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, before we really jump into this, we need to understand what Caesarea Philippi, the importance of this place is, all right? Uh, Caesarea Philippi, he takes 
the disciples to this place. And it's incredibly important. And if we look at kind of the history of this city, we see that it was at the foothills of a place called Mount Hermon, which was 25 miles from Galilee. Jesus did most of his ministry in Galilee. It was a religious hub. It was a Jewish hub. was in Galilee. And Jesus, if you read kind of where he went, where he traveled, it was all around Galilee. So Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles from Galilee. Um, and we have to understand kind of the, the history leading up to when Jesus gets here at this place. In 330 BC, this region was a Greek city-state when Alexander the Great came in and he conquered the region. All right, he conquered it from Israel, basically. And then later, a guy by the name of Herod Philip, a Roman, he came in and he conquered it and he changed the name to Caesarea Philippi, okay? So the influence of this region, even though it's Roman at the time when Jesus shows up, it had been Greek for a long time. And so the people there, they kind of had the culture of the Greeks. If you understand any of the ancient world, maybe back in the day in history class or history channel, you realize that the Greeks were all about gods, many gods, and especially fertility gods. In the Greek world, they believed that these Greek gods lived in an underworld. And once a year, these Greek gods, if you prayed to them correctly, they would come up from the underworld and they would bless your crops. So Greeks, and especially the people that were in Caesarea Philippi, man, they believed in Greek fertility gods. They would pray to them, and obviously we know that there's only one God, but we also realize that throughout the ancient world, people worship many gods. And we also realize today, you go to India, you go to Africa, you go to different places, there's gods everywhere. People worship them. You go to Mexico, there's shrines all on the side of the road to different gods. I mean, it's, it's a different world than in America. And this is kind of what's going on there. These people believe that if they worshiped right, that these fertility gods would come and they would bless them. They also believed that this underworld, it was a dark, dreary, watery place that was under the earth. So wherever they saw places where water was coming up out of the ground, they literally believed that this could be a gate to the underworld, okay? So what does this have to do with the story? And the answer is everything. The area that Jesus takes his disciples, it was a huge hub for pagan worship. In the Old Testament, this was a place where they worshiped the bells. Do you remember the bells? Well, when Alexander the Great came in about 300 years before Jesus shows up, okay, those Baals, those pagan gods turned into Greek fertility gods. And this place in Caesarea Philippi, Alexander the Great made it the epicenter or the capital for pagan worship for this god named Pan. Can you say Pan? the God of Pan, and actually Pan was a goat God, half man, half goat. If you've seen the cartoons with like a half man, half goat, this is where this originated from way back in the day. Alexander the Great made this place, Caesarea Philippi, the world capital for Pan. The city was very unique in the Greek mind. The River Jordan, we've read about it, it runs underground in Caesarea Philippi and literally comes up out of a cave right there. And they believed that this was the gate to the underworld where Pan would come up once a year and Bless them with crops that they prayed to him correctly. Um, this city had about 20,000 people that Jesus visits, Caesarea Philippi. And um, at the time when he shows up, there's four huge temples in Caesarea Philippi. The first one is to Augustus. The second one is to a shrine to Pan, which is this huge open air cathedral. Uh, the third one is a temple to Zeus. And the third one is a temple to sacred goats. Again, we said he was the goat shepherd and he was the half man, half goat is what they believed. Um, Pan, 
like I said, is portrayed as a half man, half goat. And the worship of Pan was very violent. It was very vile and it was very sexual in nature. They would sacrifice people. It was crazy. Once a year, they would have this celebration and they had this huge rock wall, this open air cathedral that I mentioned, a hundred by a hundred, had all these carvings in it. But once a year, this city would swell from 20,000 to a few hundred thousand with people coming in from around the areas that were pagan and they would worship this Greek fertility god, Pan. This is what's going on at the time. Most theologians believe when Jesus shows up with his 12 disciples, it's kind of this once a time celebration that they are all worshiping Pan. If you've ever been to a, a Panama City or something like that, you know it has a small population, but then during spring break for those two weeks, man, it swells huge. Or, or New Orleans, the same thing with Mardi Gras. This is the same thing that's going on. So Jesus takes his disciples, these young men, to the epicenter of a terrible place, right? He takes them, why would you take somebody to Caesarea Philippi? Nonetheless, why would you take a bunch of 17, 18, 19 year old kids to a place like this? I mean, I'm thinking, Jesus, can you come up with a better field trip? You know what I mean? When you're a senior in high school, you know, there's like a school trip and normally you go somewhere. Jesus is taking his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. You're talking about a place that's like 10 times worse than Amsterdam or like a Bourbon Street. Why would you do this? Here's what I wanna do. I know that was a lot of background information and we're talking about this place that a lot of us maybe just read over when we've read the Bible. But let me tell you, um, when we read the Bible, the Bible calls us to study the Bible, to look what it really means, amen? And we read these scriptures earlier that are very common to us, but now I wanna look at them one more time, kind of with this background of where Jesus takes his disciples. If we can see why he takes them there and the kind of the history of it, I believe God's gonna show us something. So we're gonna look at basically four things and uh, I believe God's gonna help us be a better follower. Are you still with me? That was your history lesson. Like you don't have to watch the Discovery Channel this week at all. Like I got y'all, you know? So here's the deal, we're gonna look at four things. The first thing is this, after we learn where they're at, they're in this wicked, ungodly city. This is where Jesus brings them. Jesus asks Peter, verse 16, he says, Simon Peter replied, he says, who am I? Jesus asked, Simon replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Catch this, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, for centuries, this verse has been very debated. What is Jesus talking about? On this rock, I will build my church. Well, the Catholics will say Jesus, the rock that he's referring to is actually Peter. Peter is the rock that Jesus was referring to, and Peter was the first pope. The Catholics will say the pope is the person that the church is built on. Okay, Protestants would say this, and this is what I agree, that statement or that declaration that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Christ or Jesus is the only way, that is the declaration that the church is built on. That's what we believe here, that Jesus is the Christ and everything that we do is built off of that, amen? But here's the deal. Could there also be a third possible uh, kind of meaning that Jesus is saying here? He has his disciples in this very, very secular, wicked place. He has people all around him that have come once a year to worship this false god Pan in front of this big, huge wall. You can type this in and you can read all about kind of the worship of Pan in Caesarea Philippi. But there's this huge rock face that's there. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. 
Could Jesus also be saying to the disciples this? We're going to build our church here. Listen to me. We're going to build our church here. Peter, the declaration that you just said, these people need it. These people that are worshiping false gods, these people that are doing all these crazy acts, these people that are sacrificing people to their fake God, we need to take this message to them. See, I believe Jesus takes his disciples to this wicked place to basically say, guys, your mission is to do something about this. You've got to do something about this, right? How many people agree that we live in a dark world? We really do. And it's getting darker and darker. But I believe that as it gets darker, the, the light of Jesus is going to get brighter. I believe the light of Jesus is going to propel, you know, us as Christians to have more influence and more people to see him. I really believe it. I believe Jesus is looking at this rock face where thousands and thousands of people are doing detestable things and says, guys, we got to do something about this. The answer is not in the mud. The answer is not worshiping something false. The answer is me. And you've got to take that to them. I believe that's what Jesus is saying, right? And I believe it's still the message that we have today to take the gospel to them. To take the gospel, not just to places that are lit up, but take the gospel to places that are dark. He's calling us to go to places that are dark. We do realize as followers that we've been left a mission and it's to reach people. It really is to disciple people, to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And we do realize that these people that God has called us to reach out to, sometimes they may not, I don't know, look like us. Maybe they don't have, you know, the same uh, financial uh, whatever as we do. Maybe they're not even, you know, whatever. Maybe they're from a different background than we are. God has still called us to reach out to these people. See, I think Jesus takes them to this terrible place to show them, guys, your ministry is not going to just be inside of a temple. Your ministry is going to be out here to bring the people that need it to them. I believe that's what Jesus is saying. Um, you realize as a Christian, when we became a follower of Christ, what that was is we exchanged. That was an exchange. We were saying, God, here's my old life and you're giving me a new life. When you become a follower, we realize that Jesus becomes the Lord of our life. And really, if you look at lordship, that means that he has control of our life. That I'm not my own anymore, but Jesus has control. We're a vessel. Everyone say vessel. I'm a vessel. Man, when I got saved, I turned my life over to God and he instructs me. He tells me what to do. He puts people around me for me to reach out to and it's my job to reach out to him. You know, uh, let's get real theological for a second. How many people in here like eating cereal? people any kids in here any adults like let's be honest like you like some cereal like I'm talking about like some Captain Crunch maybe uh, some Raisin Bran any Raisin Bran people in here okay any uh, Frosted Flakes Wheaties Pastor Mike's a Wheaty guy I just know it you know what I mean like Team USA probably just push-ups in between uh, bites of cereal um, but I love cereal let me tell you like it's my favorite uh, but I like it at night anybody eat cereal like at night like in the morning, you know what I mean? Like I'm too tired for that. I ain't, I ain't got time for that. At night, I can enjoy my cereal, you know? And uh, back in the day, I kind of got in this habit. Um, when Whitney and I got married, I didn't have any dishes. I had lived on my own for a while. I was a plastic kind of guy. Plastic and paper, you know what I mean? Eat it, throw it away. That's it, you know? No dishes. And, but I got in this habit of eating my cereal out of like a little throwaway cup, like a solo cup. And uh, it's just what I do. I still do it. I go buy those cups. I eat my cereal, throw it away, 
done. You know, Whitney doesn't get mad at me for having dirty dishes left out. I just throw them away. And uh, anyways, I can remember I had some people over at my house and I was eating my cereal. It was late at night. And uh, this person started just kind of laughing at me. Why are you eating your cereal in a cup? You're supposed to eat your cereal in a bowl. And they're just kind of trying to make me feel silly. And I'm like, I bought the cup. I can do whatever I want to do with the cup. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is my cup. I can write my name on this cup. I can drink orange juice out of this cup, or I can put cereal in this cup. It's my cup. If you buy your cup, you can do whatever you want to do with your cup, right? Here's the deal. I can do that because I bought it. But it's the same thing with Jesus, right? The Bible says that we were purchased with a price, that, man, we are God's. Like, we are his property. And so whatever he wants us to do, we're called to do that. Amen? Look, Jesus isn't going to mess our life up. He's not going to throw us away, right? Like I threw this cup away, but we're a vessel. And it's not the vessel's job to tell the creator or the buyer what it's good for. It's the creator or the buyer's job. Look, God didn't make a mistake when he saved us. He trusts us, amen, to be his very voice in the earth. And so let's quit being afraid of whatever and whatever God puts in front of us, let's do Jesus took these disciples to a terrible place and said, I want you to do something about that. We can all think of places around Texarkana that need some light. And it's not just for certain people to go to those places, man. If God puts that in our heart or puts people around us, it doesn't matter. We're called to do that. Can I get amen? That's the first point. Here's the second point. This is at the end of verse 18. It says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of hell, or the Greek, Hades, Sheol, shall not prevail against it. Why is this important? Again, go back to our context. Where are they at? There's Caesarea Philippi. There's 100,000 or so people there that believe that this rock face where water is running under it is literally a gate where this false god would come up of, come out of, come up once a year and all this stuff, right? So Jesus is saying the gates of hell are not gonna prevail. I know we're smart people in here first service. What do gates do? They protect stuff. They hold stuff in. You know, back in the day, gates and walls, they would protect cities. If you've got a fence at your house, a gate, it protects your stuff. It protects your boat. It protects your family. We know what this is. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying the gates that are protecting hell are not going to prevail. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying we're going to knock the gates down to hell. You know, Jesus is promoting an offensive Christianity. He's saying, guys, what's going on here is not right. What's happening here is not right. This is detestable. These people are lost in the mud doing stupid stuff. It's wrong. He says, guys, the gates of hell, they're not going to prevail against this, right? Offensive Christianity. I feel like so many times our Christian walk has almost become defensive, we're all the time walking around, God, I hope the boogeyman doesn't get me. You know what I mean? Like, God, I mean, you know, Jesus is telling us it's not just be afraid and, and hide where the enemy can't get you. It's go knock his gate down. Does that make sense? Go mess him up. You know, that's what he's telling us to do. And I feel like a lot of times we kind of, you know, get in kind of our, our life and, and life is good. And look, God wants to give us a peaceful life and all that. But it's sometimes it's time to fight. Amen. It's time to say, you know what? The enemy's been messing with my family, with my friends, with my health too much. I'm going to quit getting beat up and, and hiding, and I'm going to start fighting. And let me tell you, the best place to fight is in the place of prayer. 
You fight for your family in prayer, through intercession. You fight through reading the Bible. You fight through praying, right? Jesus is saying, we're going to fight, guys, and we're going to take this back. And I believe he's pointing down there to people in the mud, worshiping a false god and saying, guys, we're going to take this back. We're going to take this back. And I'm telling you, I believe God's calling us to take a city back. I believe he's calling us to take our families back, right? A few years ago, we had the opportunity, several of us from this church, we went on a trip to South Africa and we hooked up with a team there uh, called Impact Africa. And this was right outside of Johannesburg. And the place that we ministered to, there was about 250,000 refugees that lived in a two mile square radius. And I'm talking about as bad as bad can get. I, I mean, just in the mud, huts, you know, looking for meals, violence. I mean, it was, it was a bad place. And this ministry that we were a part of, they were right there, kind of right on the outskirts, right there with it. They were ministering every day. Well, what they found out was every single day, at least the average was, that there would be one baby found, and this is terrible, in a trash can, found in a gutter, just found kind of left out because these people, they would have babies and they couldn't even really feed themselves. So they just kind of throw the baby away. It's sad. And so this ministry said, you know what, we have to do something about this. I don't know what we can do. We've got to do something. And so they began to pray. And really what came out of that was they came up with the idea, and I believe it was a God idea, about a baby drop box. At their facility, they, they had some engineers come in and basically like a mailbox, this real, you know, steel, sturdy thing where you would open it up and people could put a baby in there and then it would lock from the inside. And there was a couple of people in there like that would take care of the babies and an alarm would go off. Since they started this almost two years ago, there's been like 50 babies rescued. I mean, can you imagine your situation is so bad, you have a little baby and you can't take care of it and you would just go drop it off, you know? But let me tell you, 50 extra babies have had a chance to live because they said, you know what? We're not just gonna allow circumstances to just keep going on. We're gonna do something about this. And I'm telling you, every single one of us in here, God will put ideas and different things in our life to show us how we can fight against the enemy. Christian, listen to me. It's not our job just to hide and not get beat up all the time. Our job is to take the offensive, to take back ground, to do what the, the Lord has called us to do. I believe it. Jesus takes him to this dirty place and he says, I wanna change this. And I'm telling you, there's some work that he's calling us to do. I believe it. Anybody in here? Same thing. Let's keep going. The third point or the third thing I wanna point out, Mark chapter eight, verse 34, right after this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what could a man give in return for a soul? Okay, Jesus is calling out to the crowds. And the question is, who is he yelling at? Is he yelling at the Jews? No, Jewish people would not have been there. They would not have even been within a few miles of here. Religious people would have not been here at all. Jesus is calling out to the sinners that are down there trying to find fulfillment and trying to find acceptance and love and doing all this crazy stuff. Jesus is calling out to them. And he's saying, there's a better way. There's a better way. You know what? All these people worshiping a false goat man, half goat, half man in the mud. Jesus is saying there's a better way. What you're looking for is not in the mud. What you're looking for is not something false. What you're looking for is not found in a sexual act. What you're looking for is found in me. 
And I believe that's still the call that Jesus has for us today. It's the same call. Our fulfillment, our peace, our joy, it's found in him, right? It's found in Jesus. He's saying the same thing today. Um, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I was actually I was reading a book, and here's some statistics. This is in America that's happening right now. Since 1973, almost 60 million babies have been aborted. American consumes more than half of all illegal drugs produced in the world, yet we only have 5% of the world's population. Our divorce rate is higher than any other nation in the world. We spend $2.9 billion a year on pornography, which is 60% of the world. 40% of children in America are born to unmarried moms. 17.6 million Americans are self-proclaiming alcoholics, which is the most in the world. Uh, in America, over 12 million crimes occur every year, more than any other nation in the world. I'm telling you, America, there's some dark days that we're looking at right now. Not only in America, but I know a lot of you, you read the article about Texarkana a few weeks ago. Did you read it? In Texas, the second most violent per capita in Texas, Texarkana is the second city that's the most violent. I'm telling you, people need Jesus. People are looking for stuff. They're looking for acceptance and bottles and women or men or whatever. And the acceptance is only found in God. Guys, we need him. Your friends need him. Your neighbors need him. Heck, maybe someone's in here today and, and that's you. You're kind of rolling around in the mud looking for different things. And, and I'm not saying you're bad because you're not. We've all been there. But the answer is him, right? The answer is him. It always has been. We have to understand this as, as Christians. Friends, we have to understand this. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to make bad people better. He came to make dead people alive. Are you following me here today? Our problem, friend, is bigger than we're bad or your friend is bad and we need a little Jesus to make them a little better or you gotta have Jesus to make you better. No, the problem is deeper than that. The problem is without Jesus, you're dead. You're not alive. The problem is we need him. And I know a lot of us in here, we have friends that we know aren't close to God, but they're a pretty good guy. The problem is they're dead in their sins. The Bible says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of, of eternal life is only found in Christ Jesus. Some of us, we have to catch this. It's not that I just need Jesus to make me a little bit better because I, I, I smoke, or I just need Jesus to make me a little bit better. No, Jesus wants to make you alive first. He'll deal with all those things, but he wants to make us alive. Can I get an amen? That's what he does. You've got to believe. Jesus kind of shouts out to these people. You've got to believe some of them like came up, you know? I mean, this is Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time. I guarantee he had some people answer his altar call, you know? Here's the fourth thing, the last thing that Jesus said, and the band can go ahead and come up. He's just shouted to the crowd. He's told the crowd to follow him. Look what he says, Mark 8, 38. It says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Who do you think Jesus is saying this to? I think Jesus is saying this to the disciples. I think Jesus has been talking to the disciples. I think Jesus then shouts to the crowd. And I think the disciples get embarrassed. And I think Jesus quickly says, you better not be embarrassed of me, right? See, I, I think, you know, they're all cool with Jesus talking to them and teaching them. And they went on this like crazy field trip. And then Jesus shouts out to these people. And I guarantee they get embarrassed. 
You know, I bet you they're like, oh my gosh, anybody in here, you got like a friend that's just like that person? Like they just embarrass you all the time. Like you're out to eat and they're being loud and you're like, I don't even know this person. I just sat down at the same table. I don't, I don't know them, you know? You gotta believe that the disciples are kind of like, oh my gosh. You gotta know Peter probably like walked off, you know what I mean? Like Peter's like probably running down there to try to be with those people because he's embarrassed. But Jesus says, you can't be embarrassed of me. You better not be ashamed of me. I'm leaving you the mission to change this. You better not be ashamed of me. Guys, don't be embarrassed of me. And I feel like a lot of us as Christians and, and me a lot of times just as well, I feel like a lot of times we become embarrassed of Jesus. We become embarrassed to tell people about him. Even our friends, we become embarrassed to sometimes even live for him because it may make us look silly. Heck, some of us in here, we may be in, at, at home, we have no problem praying over our food with our kids, but we get to work and we kind of like, uh, I don't know about that, you know? God, you, you already blessed, I know it's good. I feel like a lot of times maybe we live a life where we're embarrassed. Listen to me, don't be embarrassed of Jesus. Don't be embarrassed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Matthew eleven six says this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Friends, he's left us too much to do to be offended. He's left us too much to do to be embarrassed, right? We're not our own. We can't be embarrassed. Here's the deal, it didn't seem like it at first, but Jesus gave a pretty good graduation speech, right? He took these people to the worst place possible that they could walk to. He showed them the stuff and he says, guys, we've got to do something about this. Not just, you know, he didn't just take them to the temple to do work there. He says, guys, we got to reach the world. We got to reach our neighborhoods. We got to reach the lost, right? Here's the four things to sum up. And this is what I want you to take away. Jesus says four things, go build my church everywhere. You realize we're not talking about sticks and mortar and wood and bricks. We're talking about people. Go build my church everywhere. Go build people everywhere. The second thing he says is attack evil. Attack it, attack the enemy. Get on the offensive, let's quit running. Let's attack. Here's the third thing. He calls people out of the mud. He still calls people out of the mud. Here's the fourth thing. He tells his followers, he's telling me and you, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed, right? I want you to stay on your feet this morning. Is it okay if we pray for a second? You know, over the last few weeks, we've talked about going out. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about reaching people. And I'm telling you, even working at a church, I have to stir myself and go out outside the church and reach people. But God's called us all to do it. Young, old, black, white, got money, don't have money. He's called us to do it. If you're in this place and you just feel like, man, I've been stirred the last few weeks. I know I'm called to reach people. I want the passion. I want the grace to do that. If that's you, just where you are, I want to pray for you. Raise your hands. Lord, you see us. God, would you give us your grace to reach people? Lord, would you give us your grace to, to love people, to see people like you, to care for people? God, would you make us unashamed? Lord, would you make us bold? God, would you let us see the need? Lord, help us. God, I pray even right now you would put people in our hearts to reach out to. Lord, this week to talk to, to minister to this week. God, we love you. We thank you that you're good. Help us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 
Here's the deal. I want some of my prayer team to come up. Here's the last question. If you're in this place today, and I'm telling you, maybe you're in the mud. I'm not saying you're bad at all. I'm saying maybe you've never turned your life over to Him. You Maybe you've never said, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Man, if you've never done that, that's the greatest thing in the world. He died for you. He died to be your fulfillment. If you're in this place today and you say, man, I, I need Him. I want Him. That's you. Just where you are. Raise your hand real quick. I need Him. I need Jesus. Amen. Next week, as Pastor Mike said, we're going to have a big, just kind of bring in the nets. We need everybody here. Tell people about it. Bring people to church. Amen. Can we worship God for a couple minutes before we leave? The donuts will not get cold. I promise. Let's worship the Lord. Let's throw our hands up. Lord, we worship you. The altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, healing in your body, just an agreement, we're here for you. But let's worship God. There is power.